All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from New York City on this, the ninth day of April, 2019. I do want to remind you, I am the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to miningstocks.com. Miningstocks.com, or you can call our office in New York City during normal work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. We do like to plug Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling, especially if you have an interest in the biotech sector, uh, early biotech discoveries that Chen follows, and he's done very well for his subscribers. Chen also pays some attention to the gold shares, some of them that, we've, that I follow in my letter. Uh, and as well, the energy sector, he's done very well. And so those are the areas. If you're interested in those areas, um, uh, you might want to consider uh, subscribing to Chen Lin, chenpicks.com. And uh, Michael Oliver, who will be with us uh, in just a moment, uh, we always encourage you uh, to check into Michael's work as well. And uh, that's olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com. Uh, I do want to thank you for listening to the show, making one of the more uh, one of the more widely listened to shows on the Voice America Business Channel. And I do want to invite you to keep sending along your comments, uh, whatever they may be, to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And of course, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically possible Novo Resources, Triumph Gold, Merrimont Resources, Great Bear Resources, and Klondike Gold are our sponsors for this week's show. I've titled this week's show, Preparing for Gold as Currencies Crumble. Alistair McLeod, Peter Talman, and Michael Oliver are the guests for this week. The global economic outlook is deteriorating. Um, government borrowing in the deficit countries will therefore escalate. U.S. Treasury data confirms foreigners have already begun to liquidate dollar assets, adding to the U.S. government's future funding difficulties. The next wave of monetary inflation required to fund budget deficits and keep banks solvent will not prevent financial assets suffering a severe bear market. But the scale of monetary dilution will be so large that the purchasing power of the dollar and other currencies will be undermined. Failing fiat currencies suggest that the dollar-based financial order is coming to an end. But with few exceptions, investors own nothing but fiat currency dependent investments. The only portfolio protection from these potential dangers is to embrace sound money, that is gold. Alistair McLeod will be with us during the second half of today's show to explain 
more in detail uh, what I just uh, suggested to you. Well, one of the most exciting uh, junior exploration stories that I'm following and one I'm personally invested in is Klondike Gold, which company is searching for the mother load source of millions of ounces of placer gold that has been mined in the Yukon since the late 1800s. Peter Talman, the president of CEO, uh, president and CEO of Klondike, as I said, will be with me uh, to explain the progress that their exploration efforts have been making over the last three years or so. Uh, it is an exciting story. Um, if you follow this sector, it's one I think you want to pay close attention to. So as I say, Peter will be with me. That will be right after our first commercial break. But right now, Michael Oliver is with me once again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jake. Always good to chat. Always good to have you with me, and it's OliverMSA.com, folks, OliverMSA.com. And, you know, if you subscribe to Michael's letter, especially the one that has to do with uh, the precious metals, uh, you'll be further ahead, I think, in understanding what is going on. Michael is gracious enough to come and spend time and explain some of the things, just a few of the ideas that he has here. Uh, but if you really want to, if you're really invested in the precious metals market in any serious way, I think his newsletter is a must. Uh, Michael, thank you. I want I want to talk a little bit about your weekend missive, uh, the gold and silver and mining weekend report. Uh, you're really, I think, you're, you know, I, I mentioned to you, I think silver really is sort of sucking wind. It's not doing very well. I mean, as I look at the, historically at least, silver relative to gold is still very low priced. But you're pretty bullish on silver, aren't you? More than, even than yeah. gold. Mm-hmm. Yes, at this point I am. Um Silver, uh, let's view this. Last summer's sell-off in gold uh, dropped gold from above 1300 down to 1160 That's about in the middle of its multi-year range. Remember, its bear, bear low in 2015 was 1045 So that put it gold back about in the middle of its clump of ink of the last several years. Mm-hmm. Silver retraced all the way back to its lows. It held above them slightly, but it basically doubled its lows. It did in the 13s. At that same time, platinum, by the way, made new lows. But they all behaved the same. In other words, they all were in downward pressure at that point, and silver went all the way back to its lows, something the gold miners did not do, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, So gold and the gold miners held well above their bear market lows of 2015, where silver retested. So you'd say, well, Mm -hmm. silver's a dog. Well, yeah, maybe. Uh, Things change. It has a momentum structure. Forget the price charts. Uh, Again, price to us is somewhat secondary. It's also a distortion because, as you noted in your comments, fiat currencies are elastic things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so if you use a fiat currency to measure something, you're using a rubber uh, uh, measuring unit. Uh, It doesn't hold its integrity over time. So we shift to momentum of price, which gets us a bit distant from using a fiat currency to measure, Mm -hmm. and we get a different picture than what you see in a price chart. And right now, silver has probably one of the best potential massive upside breakout levels, not far above where it is now, that once triggered, I think silver will come to life like you, uh, most people won't imagine. And it will regain its potency versus gold. Now, that also probably indicates that gold trend to the upside is gaining public acceptance because silver is often the poor man's gold. Right, uh, And we're also seeing evidence of outside interest in gold, meaning non-gold bug interest, in mm-hmm. the gold miners, because gold miners are now outperforming gold. 
mm-hmm. uh, measurably by our work. And again, that's in the weekend report. We show how we come up with this calculation. Uh, and we're at a point now in the gold miners versus gold, for example, when you spread them against each other or measure them one against the other, that we're at a breakout point on gold miners versus gold that we were at in early 2016. If you recall, at that point in time, we noticed that gold miners were, on the spread difference versus gold, were breaking out. So you Mm -hmm. should own miners, not so much gold. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, the explosion that followed into the summer of 2016 was vastly greater for the gold miners than it was for gold. But the Mm -hmm. spread change that occurred in early 2016 signaled that move, the upward move in gold, the upward move in gold miners. We're at the Mm -hmm. same point now in our assessment that we were in early 2016, meaning expect a sharp upward movement in this whole category. And we also think that silver will come from back seat to front seat. Um, So what existed over the last few years, which was definitely a weaker silver market than gold, uh, we think is about to reverse sharply. All right. Well, that's, uh, I guess, certainly that is uh, usually the way when we're in a bull market for precious metals, silver outperforms. When we're in a bear market, uh, it, it really does horribly, it really does horribly uh, badly, and, and gold usually held, holds its own much better. Uh, Michael, what about um, platinum? Platinum and well, palladium. For example, palladium has gone nuts. It's actually, it was, I think, as high as 1600. It's come back a bit now, but the yeah. platinum palladium. You wouldn't touch it. You're afraid of touch. I think it's an industrial situation of its own unique fundamentals, Mm -hmm. and obviously they have a a supply demand imbalance, and you're in a blow off. Uh, We we do not encourage anybody to join a blow off late in its move. You want to get get bullish on on a market that's a blow off a few years later. That's fine, but uh, it's in a blow off, which means once it ends, it'll probably collapse. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with the fundamentals that will drive the gold, silver, gold mining complex north. Uh-huh. It's, it's, uh-huh. A, it's an aberration. Yes, it's part of the platinum group metals, but if you look at platinum, platinum didn't behave at all like palladium. No. Platinum went down and made a new low in the summer of last year, new low below the 2015 low. However, mm-hmm. platinum is now turning, and even on price charts we can show a breakout, but on, on long-term momentum uh, there's, it's pregnant for a major upside. So the mm-hmm. last low in platinum, I think, was a trap. In other words, the breaking below the 2015 low in platinum uh, rec- uh, last summer uh, was totally non-confirmed by our momentum work, meaning even though price was weak, momentum was not. And since then, we've had what? Firming action mm-hmm. constantly. And right now, it's above 900, and I think you get up to about another 30 bucks or so above here, and it's going to launch. So platinum is, in effect, saying, me too. <laughs> uh, yeah. to the gold and silver situation. And again, don't confuse it with palladium. I think it's a misdirected thought. Yeah, I guess um, certainly industrial uses and there's shortage of, of palladium, uh, shortage of the physical metal, uh, something that can't be overcome by paper palladium, that's for sure. And um, so that's why I think the, the palladium has risen so dramatically, no doubt about it. But platinum is looking strong. And uh, so do you see platinum as sort of a monetary metal then, yeah, too? Yeah, to some extent. Remember, it used to be. Remember uh, back uh, in the last bull market? Both of them peaked, by the way. You know, platinum and palladium, where? Just above 1900 Yeah. They were holding hands at the same price level when they peaked in 2011. And then uh, gold made a low, uh, the recent low, uh, at 1160 
just above 1160. Platinum was where? In the 700s. So it was much weaker. But the swings in platinum, if you look at the charts, uh, coincide with the swings in gold, even mm-hmm. though they're weaker. Platinum is much weaker. However, we do think that platinum is now reborn and about to break out on its own merits and, re- and in effect, join what's going on already in the monetary metals. Mm-hmm. Uh, platinum is not a monetary metal, but it, it sometimes behaves like one. It behaves know, like one. We've had yeah. those periods. Well, it has a lot of the same attributes as gold, no doubt about it. All right, so we're looking at the gold miners, looking very, very strong. Silver better than gold, and uh, we uh, we should have some good times. For those of us that are looking to invest and who do invest in the mining shares, uh, should see a pretty good 2006, uh, 2019, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, uh, Michael, for being with us again. Uh, yeah, your you, insights are, are always coveted, and we thank you very much. Uh, Take care of yourself and uh, hope to talk to you next week. All right, folks, well, uh, we are going to go to break now, but Peter Talman, President and CEO of Klondike Gold, will be with me. They're making some great progress there in their exploration efforts uh, in the hunt for the mother load of those millions of ounces of placer gold that's been mined over the last hundred years or so. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Talman. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on their wholly owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Ontario, Canada. Recent drill results yielded an impressive 1,600 grams per tonne gold over 0.7 meters near surface. GBR is fully funded to drill 300-plus holes this year. McEwen Mining is a significant shareholder following a $5.7 million investment as part of a recent $10 million financing. Visit greatbearresources.ca. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Peter Talman. Peter is the president and CEO and a member of the board of directors of Klondike Gold, and he's still uh, he's still a very youthful uh, geologist, but also has had a lot of experience. So uh, he's got, he, combat, he brings both youth and experience. Uh, he's worked uh, 
in Canada, Chile, Mexico, Australia. He's been with us a number of times. Uh, more complete bio, of course, can be found on the company's website as well as uh, uh, Voice America Business channel on my page there as well. So, Peter, thanks for joining me again. Thank you. You're very kind. Many call me old and crotchety as well. <laughs> well, that could be, but you're not as old and crotchety as I am, so it's all uh, in the eyes of the beholder, I suppose. It's all relative. Uh, anyway, uh, I should mention it's uh, stock trades in Toronto under the symbol KG. Uh, KDKGF is, uh, I think, the symbol down here. Anyway, I bought it under the U.S. symbol. Uh, 106.6 million shares, I believe, Peter, after you've just done a, uh, completed a $2.1 million raise, something to that order, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, your price exactly earlier. That's right. That sounds right. Okay. Yep. And uh, earlier today, I saw the price at about $0.22 cents Canadian, and that would give you a market cap, I guess, of around $23 million Canadian or around $18 million U.S., somewhere in that ballpark, right? That's correct. All right. So we talked to you on November 27th of last year, and you had just presented uh, your Klondike story at a geology conference in the Yukon, uh, and you were quite excited both in terms of the science results that you picked up as well as the, uh, as well as the um, excitement from some of the major gold mining companies, or the interest at least in, from some of the major gold companies. So I have a couple of questions regarding that. Uh, any new developments from those gold companies you hearing anything from those guys did they follow up after you met with them uh, last year um, no two of the three are the subject one way or the other of takeovers mm-hmm. and so uh, for now they can't talk yeah there's, there's nothing going to come out of that uh, the third has been interested and we've had discussions uh-huh. um, so just in general it's positive that at least briefly before all the amalgamation started, all, all the the notable ones that are our neighbors or are yeah. active there are interested in us. Yeah. And we don't want to see too much consolidation, Peter, because we want to see the more the merrier, the more people bidding on your story uh, somewhere down the road, the, be- the better, I think, generally. I, I agree, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, uh, secondly, then, um, the scientific results – we're brand new last November. Have you had any further thoughts uh, about them since then? Have they, have they changed your thinking or your exploration plans or potential? Uh, they've Yes. So it was brand new, the synthesis in November, um, and I more or less rushed into a conference and presented what we initially thought, and we've had basically four months to think about it since. And uh, I guess it, as an easy visualization a checkerboard and the lines that run between the two players, between the, the, the squares, are our faults that transect the property. Um, mm-hmm. And so they've been Bonanza fault, Nugget fault, whatever. What we know now are the cross, the, the other side of the square that mm-hmm. goes across the board are a younger set of faults, and those are the mm-hmm. ones that introduce the gold to the Klondike. And so those cross faults are potentially where the high grade is. Um, and the, the ones that run between the players are where more or less the low grade is. Those existed first, and they were mineralized by these later faults. And uh, so we basically have a checkerboard of, of, or a grid of faults that are potentially gold-bearing, 
and even you probably know from your experience, the intersections of those two fault angles mm-hmm. are also mm-hmm. important because they, you tend to get some high-grade shoots in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've kind of reevaluated our entire database, particularly drilling, looking for high-grade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, <laughs> our investors have been somewhat... I don't know, not frustrated because we're drilling lots of gold, but, uh, you know, the gold is not spectacular and flashy. We're drilling a gram over 100 meters. That's great. It's mm-hmm. all sitting on the mm-hmm. surface. But where's the, where's the beef, as they used to say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what we've determined is, you know what, we do have high-grade veins rather than the disseminated mineralization. Um, <laughs> two of them, which didn't really get released, one was 47 grams over a meter, and 100 meters away was 27 grams over 2.5 or whatever, two, two and a half meters. Um, huh. And because we've been collecting structural data while we drill, we could actually go back and go, oh, well, that's a nice intersection there. Ah, you know what? It's the same as that one over there on the dip. Wow. And from our structural information, we can project it. And that's was... I don't know, that was shocking because we didn't think that they connected and you had to do some fancy projection to get it to go. I mm-hmm. went, aha, well, we know the dip of these things, we know where they are, and they're completely at right angles to what we have and historically what everyone has explored for. Ah. And so it opens oh. up another another whole set of problems, good problems to have, is that there is... You know, low-grade bulk tonnage disseminated style mineralization there, and in addition, high-grade narrow vein continuous high-grade gold mineralization, um, more or less in the same spot and all close to surface. Peter, I'm wondering why you say that you you just mentioned a couple of really outstanding uh, intersections. You're saying they weren't reported. Why not? Uh, Well, blame me. Um, so, uh, again, we're, when we drill, you know, you, you drill 100 meters or 70 meters, and mm-hmm. it hit a series of quartz veins all the way down, and they might, you know, one's 10 centimeters, then there's a gap, and then there's 70 mm-hmm. or 90 meter centimeters, and then there's another gap, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, sure. What we were using was basically looking at the entire hole, because every one of those quartz veins is mineralized, mm-hmm. and when you average them out, that mm-hmm. average volume is gold mineralized. And mm-hmm. so, well, me personally, as I'm the CEO, is getting off the idea of worrying about individual quartz veins, which we were having trouble correlating mm-hmm. anywhere. Sure. Um, and in early days, we had no structural information. It's a, we weren't, you have to put a special tool on the drill to collect it, and it's mm-hmm. finicky. And so we didn't do that originally. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have any information, so it was just simpler to amalgamate them because mm-hmm. the amalgamation, like from surface to the end of the hole, is all gold mineralized, and we could trace those across drill holes for kilometer. Mm-hmm. And that's defining the structure. But all we're right. now starting to be able to break out this high-grade stuff and say, ah, okay. you know what? That's going in a different angle even, and, and we, can, we can test for it. So it's, that's really, I think you're asking, that's going to be our drill program this year. Mm-hmm. Right. The majority of the holes are going to target high-grade opportunities rather than the bulk tonnage style. So we'll, right. we'll, do, we'll do both. 
Well, I think you always sort of figured there must be some high grain veins there. Uh, and most of your work, most of your reports so far, I thought were quite good. A lot of them, very long intersections of a gram or something like that. Um, that's fine. But as you say, the market gets excited when they start seeing high grade results like we have with another of our sponsors, Great Bear, for example. That's what really drives markets. So I'm, I'm excited about it, Peter. But let me just understand, these major faults are running sort of a north, a northwest-southeast direction, right? And are you saying there's cross, cross faults that are going sort of north, northeast, southwest, north, something like that? That's, that's correct, yep. And I it's mean, at those intersections. Mm-hmm. Well, we, and we didn't, that's never been known until the, in 2018. Last year, we flew a detailed airborne, and we flew it east-west. So that for the first time ever, there were line, there were data collected that could see both directions, and so it wasn't optimal that that orientation wasn't optimal to see either of those two. But we can see both. That was the point. And yes, you do see these. It's a checkerboard pattern, and interestingly enough, where those two intersect, that's where these high-grade veins seem to pop up. Mm-hmm. So. All this, right, this so that's your the, target. And how much how much drilling are you going to do? What sort of budget do you have for 2019? Um, it's another uh, minimum 6,000 meters, uh, so 60 to 80 holes. We don't drill long holes. Everything is at surface. Good. Um, the, even the high grade that we're going to target is going to be, um, <laughs> to start, 50 to 60 meter holes. Um, Wonderful. And, and so we're going to get in early as well. And uh, and we, I'm hoping that we're drilling by mid-May, um, if not earlier, and and we'll have a lot of results quickly. So and I'll add, I mean the the exciting bit is yes, we have high-grade targets. We're going to finally go back and drill. One of the first holes I drilled in the property was the Gay Gulch, 76 grams over 2.8 meters. Nice. And mm-hmm. uh, we now understand that one. It's in the same vicinity as some of these other ones. Uh, and so, yeah, we think there's an opportunity there for that. But then we're also going to go back to Lone Star. And one of the last holes, if not the last hole we announced there, was 0.93 grams over 105 meters. Nice. <laughs> Starting mm-hmm. at surface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 that's outside of what I would define as our what we've been drilling as a resource area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to fill in and extend. And, and Lone Star itself is we, we've drilled a kilometer, and every hole in that grid pattern is hit. And we have drill holes three and a half kilometers in total strike length that have hit. So like that sporadic out to there, and we have a soil anomaly that goes five kilometers, and that's that's the explanation for the Bonanza Creek Gold. That that explains one of the creeks, the prolific Klondike historic fossil-producing creeks. Mm-hmm. And when you step back over into Nugget and El Dorado, where these high-grade uh, veins are, well, that's explaining El Dorado Creek. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm super excited that a <laughs> we, we've We've got a really tight, nice, consistent geologic model. We can see there's gold there and kind of differentiate it now, and it's explaining all the historic work. All right, Peter, with uh, just a couple of minutes left here yet. Uh, so if you, if you get started in mid-May, we might see results a month later or what? Yeah, uh, 
by early, say, mid-July. Uh, mm-hmm. how, and we, I would try to get the bulk of them all out. So the, at least the first 40 holes would be by mm-hmm. uh, mid-August. Um, mm-hmm. And we've done some work with our lab to develop systems where they're happy to prioritize them and where we can mm-hmm. do that as well. So I, okay. I expect you're going to see the results earlier. All right, Peter, you just uh, announced you're going to raise $2.75 million, I believe, and then I saw a press release that you actually raised $2.1 million. What is the status? I mean, is where does that leave you now in terms of your financial needs? Will $2.1 million cut it, or are you still going to raise two point seven five or what? I, I, I originally wanted two, and we were instantly swamped, and this the extra point seven five comes from a sophisticated group. Um, and, I mean, so we said, sure, we want you in. Um, and then there's been delays on their end, which is a little bit frustrating. Um, but we closed the two point, well, 2.1, and we're still waiting for this one tranche, which I know the group. <laughs> they have the money. That's not a problem. And there's there's a problem on then their end getting it to us. All right. And well, so, so so are you all right sorry, for this I, year's drill program? You're okay for this uh, year's drill no. program? We have we currently have four million dollars now in in treasury, um, mm-hmm. and so that's because some of our billionaire investors not only participated in in the two point one that we just raised, but in addition to that. There's been warrant exercises. They've written checks and just, you know, basically held the stock mm-hmm. uh, to top us up. And so, so you're okay. So my question was, are you okay? You have enough financing for this year, uh, and into yes, and into next if, year possibly. That's right. Good. That's what we want to hear as shareholders. I don't yeah. know if the investment bankers want to hear that all the time. They they rather like to see your stock suck wind and then they get their shares real cheap, but. Uh, I'm not an investor, investment banker. I bought my shares, and I don't want to see a whole lot more of them. I want to see you find a bunch of gold. I, I was in seeing the investor bankers this morning, and, and you're absolutely right. They, they would yeah. like to have me poor so they can finance and charge fees. Yeah, just hang on to your wristwatch when you see those guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Peter, any, anything else? We, we do have to go now, but anything else uh, real quickly? No, I just I think it's going to be an exciting summer. I'm really looking forward to it, and there's going to be results early and lots of them. All right. Very good. We'll have to leave it go with that. Thank you so much, Peter, for being with us, and uh, we'll look to keep up with your story into, the new, into this year. Thank you so much. Cheers. All right, folks, um, we're going to go to break now, but Alistair McLeod will be with us to uh, talk about gold and preparing for the next move in the gold market. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. 
The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Alistair McLeod with me once again, one of our more frequent guests on this show, and it's always a pleasure having him, uh, Senior Fellow of Gold Money Foundation, and uh, he writes an excellent weekly report. Uh, if you really care about your money, if you care about your wealth, uh, and if you understand that gold is really at the heart of, uh, that gold is real money, that it retains its value and you really want to take care of what you have, I think you owe it to yourself uh, to go to Gold Money and um, check in on Alistair. He writes every week, always some great insights, not the kind of stuff you're going to find uh, on the mainstream media, but really something much more substantive. And, um, you know, they say you get what you pay for. In this case, you actually get uh, you get something you don't even have to pay for. So uh, go make sure to go to goldmoney.com and follow Keep up with Alistair. Alistair, thank you so much for joining me again today. That's my pleasure, and thank you for the introduction, Jay. Well, it's uh, it's great to have you. It's, we're really blessed to have you with us because you do provide a lot of insights that I think are, are very valuable. Uh, today, I'd like to talk to you about an article that you published on March 21st titled Gold, Preparing for the Next Move. Uh, you started out by stating that the global economic outlook is deteriorating. Uh, and that certainly rings true with what I hear uh, from other guests on this show and what I read and so forth. Daniel DiMartino Booth, for example, a couple of weeks ago suggested the odds are very high that we will be entering a recession this year in the United States. But you could, could you possibly provide some evidence, some, some, some anecdotal evidence, at least that we're heading into something uh, not so pleasant? Uh, Yes, certainly. I think to really understand the potential for a slump, and I'm going to call it a slump, not just a recession, Mm -hmm. is the coincidence of um, uh, tariffs 
and uh, trade protectionism at the top of the credit cycle. Yeah. And the, the last time this happened, Jay, was in 1929. On October the 30th, 1929, Congress passed the basic provisions of the Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act. That month of October saw the market fall 35% from top to bottom. Yep. And as we know, there was then a, a recovery, but I mean, that's, that was an enormous fall. Uh, and then there was a sort of consolidation, which lasted for about six months. And then the market just went down and down and down. And it fell at a more or less even pace until around about the middle, I think it was June or July of 1932, by which time it had lost nearly 90% of its value. So this is this. I mean, I I I'm, I really hope that it's not going to happen this time. Nobody could hope that this happens at no, all. No, absolutely. But but um, I think the point I'm trying to make is that when you get the coincidence of the end of the credit cycle, which, as we know, in normal circumstances, ends with a credit crisis, when you get that combining with the hit to international trade from. Uh, uh, a tariff act or trade protectionism, then you have got a lethal cocktail or a potentially lethal cocktail. And um, coming back to the point you were making about gold, um, the reason I think this is very important for gold is that if you go back to that 1929 to 1932 period, prices of commodities, um, agricultural produce and all the rest of it fell very substantially. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, we're talking about uh, prices halving. And um, the point about that was that the dollar was tied to gold. You could exchange mm -hmm. your dollars for gold. So mm -hmm. actually what we were seeing was not prices falling in dollars. We were seeing it fall in gold. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, I think, is going to happen again today. Because you will find that as, um, you know, if I'm right and this turns into a slump, then mm -hmm. just the sheer sort of fall in prices in real terms will be reflected in a rising purchasing power for gold. Mm -hmm. As far as the dollar is concerned, it's a very different thing because it's no longer backed by gold. It is completely freed from gold. Mm -hmm. And consequently, uh, when you get a slump, tax revenue collapses, welfare costs escalate, rocket up. So you get an enormous, enormous, uncontrollable budget deficit. How is it going to be paid for? Well, I think it is quite simple. You'll get more QE. You'll get more monetary inflation. Monetary inflation will become the principal way in which all this is paid for. And that will undermine the purchasing power of the dollar. So you have, um, on the one hand, the reason why, in real terms, the purchasing power of gold is going to go up, and at the same time, as the purchasing power of the dollar goes down, that will be reflected in a dollar-gold rate, which will be very favorable for the gold price. So, yeah, so, so then we were, we were backed by gold. Of course, we saw the gold, the gold values go up dramatically with QE, didn't we? And we, yes, we didn't. We did. We didn't really have any substantial. Uh, we had some some consumer price deflation. We had, of course, financial markets initially collapsed, and then the QE came along, and then gold took off to nineteen uh, two thousand eleven highs of almost nineteen hundred dollars thereabouts. Um, 
So you, you see something similar to that happening again. We're going to get only more QE than we ever got before. Uh, yes. And, and so in terms of the uh, the dollar-denominated price of gold or whatever currency you happen to be looking at, to the extent they all engage in QE, which I suspect they will, uh, around the globe you should be seeing gold prices as measured in these elastic currencies uh, going up dramatically. Yes, I mean, that, that's that, those are the dynamics of it. But I think there is a big difference between the Lehman crisis and what we're facing. The Lehman crisis, I mean, you know, some of us saw it coming and mm-hmm. we wondered why on earth stocks were holding up and all the rest right. of it. just as they are but, now. Just as, <laughs> just as they are now. But uh, the point about the Lehman crisis is that when it hit, it was very sudden. It was a it was a systemic crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole world was going to fall apart. And we, I don't know if you remember, but I remember vividly there were mornings, and it was only about two or three mornings in the whole of the crisis where I sort of woke up and I thought, my goodness, how are we going to get out of this? Yes. And, uh, you know, in other words, when the Fed printed its way out of it, what did we do? We heaved a sigh of relief. Yeah. Now, that's, that, is, that is one sort of crisis. The other sort of crisis is one that evolves, and we've got to time to think about it. We don't have that feeling of relief. When you find that the, the, the uh, government's finances start going skew-whiff, um, that doesn't create an immediate crisis for us. We just look at it and we think, oh, my goodness, um, the, the, the government is going to have to raise you know, X trillion dollars, whatever. I thought it was going to be less than that three weeks ago, but it, it's, it's getting worse. We're not going to be seeing the banks go bust um, Certainly, if I can concentrate in America at the moment, the Mm -hmm. banks, if you like, are not in the situation where they were at the time of the Lehman crisis. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to be immediately worried about withdrawing our money from the banking system or, um, you know, this is a most appalling situation which has suddenly visited upon us. No, I think that the system will appear to um, be not itself a threat, but the threat is becoming entirely from the monetary side and at that stage we'll be looking at things like the gold price which will be rising we might even be looking at bitcoin which will be rising and on that basis we'll begin to sort of think well having our money on deposit in the banks is actually not a very good idea perhaps we ought to go and buy some gold buy some bitcoin or buy something to get out of money we can't go to the bank and take our money from the bank withdraw it in cash because the banks won't let you do it so what do we do we've just got to say to ourselves well the only way i can um get my money out of the bank is basically to buy something with it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and give the problem to someone else Mm -hmm. so you've then got an interesting situation because if we all begin to feel this at the same time Mm -hmm. then um you know the person who i'm going to go and buy something uh, uh, from in order to get rid of my bank deposit um, is going to have a similar view. I don't want to sell this too cheaply because I don't really want money, except perhaps at a far higher price from what I'm selling. So what you could find is instead of there being, um, if you like, a sort of a sudden banking come property crisis visited upon us, you could suddenly find that the purchasing power of paper currencies is sliding. Um, The other way in which this could also happen is, of course, and this might indeed trigger it in a sense, is foreigners selling dollars. 
Mm-hmm. The foreigners, I was working this out for an article which is going to be published later this week, but mm-hmm. the foreigners have got roughly 20, I think it's 24, 25 trillion dollars of cash, dollar cash and dollar investments. And that includes equities as well as U.S. treasuries and, and, mm-hmm. and other bonds. Now, that is over 100 percent. It's about 120 percent of U.S. GDP wow. is, you know, is owned by foreigners <laughs> in dollars. <laughs> this idea that, that, that the foreigners don't have any dollars and they need it is a myth. Their problem is not only have they got dollars, but suddenly with the world having come coming to some sort of trading halt, they mm-hmm. find they've got too many dollars because mm-hmm. the whole reason for holding dollars is you expect growth, if you like, in your, um, your sales to America, um, your purchases of uh, raw materials and all the rest of it. Now that's gone out of the window, going out of the window, you just got too many dollars. So what do you do if you're a foreigner? You sell it. You sell it. Yeah. yeah, and there's a very big impact on America because, okay, we may be talking a marginal story in some senses, but the U.S. government has been funding itself basically out of dollars recycled from mm-hmm. the trade uh, from the trade deficit. Yeah. So you know now that you know instead of the foreigners buying U.S. Treasuries, they start selling them. This means that you guys in America are going to have to step up the plate and fund your own government. And I don't know that you're going to be quite ready to do that to the extent, particularly when that deficit is increasing at a rapid rate. So you can see that there are all sorts of problems coming. They're very different from the Lehman crisis, Mm -hmm. but they are very, very similar in many respects, I'm sorry to say, to what happened in 1929-32 with one key difference, and that is instead of things being priced uh, in gold through the dollar, they're going to be priced in fiat dollars only. Mm -hmm. Well, Alistair, you know, for years, we in America have – we've – We've been able to live beyond our means because of the, as we said, the kindness of strangers or the countries around the world that were willing to buy dollars, willing and eager to buy dollars. And as you say, out of the trade, we we ran these chronic trade deficits that I think were all part of the system that allowed the the empire to finance its expansion and and do what we've been doing as as an empire. Um, And I've always wondered what's going to happen when the day comes when the foreigners are no longer our friends when they decide they're no longer going to continue buying treasuries and keeping them buying dollars, which essentially means investing in treasuries and other quick uh, other assets in America. So I guess that day is coming. But you mentioned in your article, the 21st of March, uh, that uh, you're seeing some signs already that foreigners, that some of the foreign countries are pulling out of the dollar, at least with with uh, reducing their dollar holdings, I suppose, their treasury holdings. Uh, do you have a sense of which countries those might be? Uh, China being one of them, perhaps Russia for sure. Yes, I think I think basically, apart from Russia, which has been on a deliberate course of uh, removing uh, dollars. I mean, she doesn't need any dollars; she gets it from selling oil and, and uh, energy. So yeah. she's just she's just getting rid of rid of dollars as she gets gets them and replacing mm-hmm. that with gold. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the I. Th- I th- I think that other than that, it's a pretty marginal story as far as the uh, sovereigns are concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at, um, uh, you know, sort of, if you like, commercial entities rather than sovereigns, uh, they have 
definitely been reducing their interest in the dollar. And if you look at the tick figures over the last uh, uh, three or four months, we're beginning to see net out, outflows for the first time, and fairly, f fairly consistently so. Um, so it is building up, I think, for uh, um, a problem sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned that um, even though we start printing money like mad, it's not going to bail us out. It's not going to the financial markets are in trouble in any in any event. I mean, we've seen this, you know, obviously times are different than 2008, as you just pointed out. But help me understand why the, um, you know, the, the Fed can't, the Fed and other central banks can't just simply pump money into the system and keep, uh, keep the markets elevated. For example, they push money into the system, it would push rates down, it would uh, strengthen the bond markets, I would think, at least at the short, short end of the treasury curve, right? Yes, but if they did that, uh, Jay, then I think what would happen, quite simply, is that the dollar would start falling. Um, I, to my mind, the signal for foreigners to get more aggressive in their selling of the dollar would be um, uh, once uh, the Fed is uh, moving towards an easier monetary policy. I mean, at the moment, what they've done is they've just said we're stopping tightening. But uh, when they start uh, deliberately easing and, you know, we begin to start thinking, well, next month they may even cut the Fed funds rate or, um, you know, by the end of this this quarter, they might begin to um, uh, look at QE again. Once mm -hmm. that sort of thing begins to happen, I think that the dollar really will uh, begin to fall. And um, that will be the point, I think, where uh, the outflows will uh, accelerate or are accelerate. likely to accelerate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and certainly, um, you know, if investors start realizing that the currency they're, they're living their lives in is starting to lose value, then those, uh, those stock prices that look so that have such high numbers attached to them might not mean very much, huh? Well, I think that's right because um, you, you you know the, 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 what then happens is that you find the analysts start looking at um, earnings expectations, revising them downwards, um, looking at uh, companies which have debt which they can't uh, finance on lower sales. I mean, you're going to start finding that all those mal investments begin to get exposed. You don't need to get rising interest rates really for that to happen. All you need is for the music to slow down and stop. And then suddenly there are an awful lot of people in trouble. I think you just sort of answered a question um, a, a few minutes ago. You know, most people say, in Americans at least, they say they cannot comprehend the notion that gold would become money again. And I think that you just sort of explained how that might evolve. Gold and other tangibles would be, people would feel the need, the necessity of going to them. They can't pull their money out of the bank. The banks won't allow it. So what are they going to do? They're going to have to take the money. Uh, they're going to have to take their, their demand deposit accounts and uh, through a credit cards or whatever facilities are available, get their wealth out of the bank that way by buying things, right? Yes, and, yes. And, I, and I think... Yeah. Sorry, Ray. Sorry, Jay. Yes. Uh, no, no, absolutely right. That, that I think, is likely to happen. Now, um, sort of, I think one of the things which we must bear in mind is that it is virtually impossible, as I see it, for uh, the American economy to go on to a gold standard to get away, if you like, from the problems of a falling currency. Mm -hmm. um, 
Now, this contrasts very strongly with China and Russia. Russia, as we have seen, has already made very substantial moves in the direction of gold. Uh, China uh, is keeping her powder dry. Um, both nations have a lot to lose from uh, a Western uh, economic slump. Um, but having said that, uh, they are in a better position than almost anyone else. There is going to come a point, I think, where countries like China and Russia, where um, uh, people are borrowing in yuan and rubles are concerned, mm -hmm. they will want to crystallize the borrowing rate by making the yen and the ruble tied to gold. Then what happens is oh. that the interest rates in those currencies will effectively adopt the interest rates typical of those paid by a borrower and received by a saver in gold. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously there will be a spread on that. Mm -hmm. But having said that, that is a lot better than, let us say, the situation in which America will find herself, where the 10-year Treasury is yielding 10%. The government is finding that it can't fund unless it, it, it uh, jacks up the interest rate. Right. And uh, the sense of crisis develops even further because you get into a situation where um, if uh, the U.S. government can't borrow at 10%, then we certainly wouldn't lend it money at 12% because the numbers just look so much worse. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? It's almost like a Greek situation developing. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a very real danger uh, uh, that we'll have from a slump, principally because America can't get away from the fact at the end of the day that the market will impose interest rates on it. It will mm -hmm. impose interest rates on it in the light of its currency, the security of its currency. And if that is sliding, then the compensation uh, for risking money in uh, a 10-year treasury or a 30-year treasury, whatever, is going to be very high. So there will be price discovery for capital eventually. It has to happen, as you just explained. It sounds to me like the one that Russia and China are putting together, the, the monetary structure they're putting together, is allowing for a much more manageable price discovery uh, and we've dug ourselves into such a hole now that it's going to be god-awful when that day comes and when the markets demand finally uh, equilibrium, right? I think that's, I think that's a fair comment. Um, the EU is in, um, I think, a far worse uh, position. Um, so we, know, we only have about 30 seconds here, uh, Alistair, so if you can okay. explain that in 30 seconds. <laughs> all right. Well, you've got the EU, in spite of all the money it has been throwing at its economy, uh, is basically collapsing. And I think that you, when you've got the big German banks in desperate trouble and the Italian banks and all the rest of it, I mean, you can just work it out how horrid it is likely to be. So I wouldn't say the euro is going to go up against the dollar. Both of them are in a race to the bottom. Yeah. All right. We'll have to leave it go at that. But I would like to tell my listeners, go to gold money. Read this article by Alistair, Gold Preparing for the Next Move. And there's a chart that I would like you to look at as well on page five that shows gold relative, uh, well, in relative terms over time. Uh, and using the metric that Alistair put together here, uh, that, that is a sum of, uh, well, it, it has to do with the money supply as well as new gold that's being mined and so forth. We're looking at a gold price, Alistair, if I understand this, that is as low as almost any time we've seen using those metrics. That's correct. It goes back to the collapse of the gold pool in uh, the, the mid to late 1960s. And as a matter of interest for your listeners, that was the last time the dollar had the crisis of the proportion that I'm now expecting. 
All right, we'll have to leave it go with that. Folks, that's all the time we have this week. Next week, Daniel Martino Booth will be with me. Uh, and also we'll have Ivan Bebek of RN Resources and Michael Oliver. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 